morning. Um, if you could open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, that's where we are. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Uh, the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up, the law and the prophets. It's nice to have a short passage to look at, and it's a fun passage. Let's pray as we look at the Bible. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at your word now, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and correct and change us. Lord, we pray that we would be living in a way that is pleasing to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Reich's just read 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount, so that's the teaching that Jesus gave his disciples. It's like the discipleship class from Jesus on the side of a mountain. If you have a look at verse 4, it says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Jesus is posing a question, isn't he? How can you fix someone else's problem when you've got your own issues? How can you condemn someone else's behaviour when you do the same things, or even worse, how can you judge someone else when you do the same things that you judge them for? Look at it again. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when all the t while there is a plank in your own eye? It says, you hypocrite, in verse 5. And you're sitting there thinking, finally, we've got a sermon on hypocrisy. All these people around, they need to hear this sermon. I've been waiting for a sermon on hypocrisy to correct everyone. It's too easy to think like that, isn't it? Um, this may well be the sermon that everyone else needs, but I'm fairly confident it's the sermon that you need as well. We can all find ourselves slipping into that way of judging other people, writing off their behaviour, thinking of ourselves in some way better than them. It's so easy for us to see the fault in other people to see what they do wrong before we see what we do wrong. 
to see what other people need to fix, to judge other people like that. It's all too easy for us to do while we're utterly blind to our own shortcomings and the ways in which we stumble. Um, this is those few verses that I've zoomed in on, verse 4 and 5, they're an illustration that Jesus is using. They're an illustration that um, illustrates the warning in verses 1 and 2, the warning against being judgmental. There's two more warnings in the passage, so if you keep looking down, there's another warning in verse 6 where we're warned not to be undiscriminating. And then there's another warning, which is a positive one, a warning to keep on praying to our Heavenly Father. Um, I've lumped them loosely together under this idea of Christian relationships because the first two you can see, yeah, they do. They are, they are warnings about the way we treat other people. The third is a warning about making sure that we're praying to God, but also because when you look down at verse 12, look at that. It comes back to where we started, how you treat other people. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And yet again you see... Jesus' desire that as we live as his followers, we're taking into account the law and the prophets, that we're excelling in righteousness. Um, these three warnings, though, they come at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, or very close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, there's a little bit more in the sermon, but we'll just be leaving it sit there for you to read in your own time, and then next week Tom will take us back into last week's passage. But in our time looking across the Sermon in the, on the Mount... What we've seen is Jesus introduced everything by calling on us as followers of him to shine out like lights, to be remarkably different. So back in 5 verse 16, he says, let your light shine that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. That comes on the back of the Beatitudes where he describes what it's like to be in the kingdom of heaven, the good life, what it's like to be his followers, how different you will be. And then um, the challenge is set there in 5 verse 16 to be attractively different, not for our own benefit, but so people will see God through us and be drawn to glorify God as well. And then next, Jesus addresses righteousness or the place of the law. And as you look uh, deeper into chapter 5, he talks about, in verses 17 to 20, aiming for maximum devotion, not legalism, not minimum compliance. Um, so 5 verse 17, Jesus says he hasn't come to abolish the law but to, and the prophets, but to fulfill them. You can hear echoes of the end of this week's passage, 7 verse 12. In 5 verse 20, he says, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And in 5 verse 48, he says, Be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You put these things together, this Sermon on the Mount is urging anyone who's a follower of Jesus to stand out as remarkably different to the world around, like light shining into darkness aiming for perfection in terms of righteousness, but perfect, perfection in that it's, in the second half of verse 48, being like your father in heaven. It's the family likeness. It's not a law-keeping uh, thing that we're aiming for. It's living to please God. Jesus then cuts through the religious practices of the day at chapter 6, 6 verse 1, by challenging the Jews that he's speaking to um, to not do their acts of righteousness, to not do their religion for those who are around them, but for their Father in heaven, 6 verse 1. And we're not on about impressing other people. We're on about living for God, 6 verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, um, to be seen by them. 
we're wanting to please our Father in heaven. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is, you put it all together, it's his discipleship teaching. It's Jesus saying, if you want to be a follower of me, you give up everything. You repent. You live for me in everything, all your life. Um, and then 6 verse 21, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's where we were last week. Knowing that our life, everything that we have, is with Christ. And so that's where our heart should be too. If we're living as members of the kingdom of heaven, that's where we belong. Uh, we don't need to worry about anything else. We don't have a worry in the world, as you look through the passage. So that's what we've seen so far in the Sermon on the Mount. And now here at chapter 7, we've got these three warnings that kind of cut across how we relate to each other. This discipleship training, you put it all together and it's telling us how to live the Christian life. Telling us what it means to be a follower of Jesus and all the benefits of having the good life. Being in the kingdom of heaven. And here towards the end of this block of teaching are these warnings. So let's come back to the first warning in verse 1 of chapter 7. Three words, do not judge. Don't judge. I reckon that's contemporary, like in our culture, that's, yeah, that's acceptable. We shouldn't be judging anybody. We should be receiving everybody. We should be, you know, acknowledging everyone for who they are. Don't judge. But there's a trick to this. If you do exactly what those three words say, then how do you obey the next warning? Where you're told, basically, to be discerning. How can you be discerning if you don't, in some way, pass judgment? How does this work? Um, I think we need to look a bit more at the context. So 7 verse 1 goes, Do not judge. Then it goes, Or you too will be judged. So the reason not to judge other people, the reason for this instruction is because you're going to be judged as well. It's kind of like the reason you don't judge other people is because... As you do that, you're thinking about what, how you're going to be judged. That's, that's your reason. Verse 2 explains a little further. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. The qualification is very helpful. Without it, um, you'll misunderstand what he means when he says do not judge. I think it's more that he's saying don't be judgmental. Or be careful in the way that you judge. I think that's more the direction that it's going in. Um, we make judgments all the time. And you must make judgments. You have to. But as you're making those judgments, be mindful of where you sit under God. Jesus is not saying don't ever judge anyone or anything. That would be what our culture around us wants to hear Jesus is saying, be careful because how you judge others will be how you will be judged. It's a different instruction, a different warning, isn't it? Um, the standard you have for others will be the standard required of you. What Jesus is saying is, don't be judgmental, I think. And then the illustration uh, makes it concrete for you. 7 verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Yeah, now's probably not the time to be getting the. How can you say to your brother, let me, verse 4, take the speck out of your eye when all the while there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. If you think about it, the illustration helps you, doesn't it? It's not saying do nothing. 
you are intervening, you are interacting, you are, in a sense, I guess, judging what they're doing and interacting with it, but as you do it, you're making sure you're judging yourself too. You're weighing yourself up, you're clearing your own issues as much as possible so that you're not a hypocrite as you, as you help your brother or sister in Christ. You can start to see how this warning applies to the Christian life, can't you? We don't want to be hypocrites, having different standards for everybody else, judging everyone else while doing the same things. There might be one or two of you thinking, okay, yeah, it is possible to judge other people without being a hypocrite. It is possible to judge other people without doing what they're doing. So, for example, um, you can judge young male drivers. They're doing insane on the roads. And so long as you don't follow those same practices, so long as you're not insane on the road, you're not a hypocrite. Technically, yeah, it works. But that's not the point of this. You take a step back. As Christians, we are all sinful human beings. We've all been forgiven through Jesus' death in our place. We are no better than anybody else. So at any point where you criticise, judge, correct anybody else, keep in mind that you will struggle with sin as well. It may not be the exact same thing, but you will, and you do. You're not perfect. So at whatever point you judge someone else, take care that you don't feel more righteous than they. If you do, then you are a hypocrite in terms of this passage because the truth be known, we are no better. So you may not have stumbled in exactly the same way, but you do. All, we do all stumble. We want to help each other. To do that, you need to be discerning. You need to judge. But we do it with care and, and humility. So Jesus is warning us, I think, not to be judgmental, and it applies in all sorts of ways. So, for example, when you think about someone who you think needs the gospel shared with them, it's very easy to think about them, you know, kind of look down your noses at them and think they don't have the, you know, but that's not the way you do it. It's out of genuine concern for them. You don't look at them and think, oh, their lifestyle, their decisions, their mistakes, their sins, I'll share the gospel with them, but they got Buckley's. That's, that's just not right. That's, I think that's how this passage would, would, would land, for example. So don't fall into the trap of being judgmental or a hypocrite. Um, that's the trap that the Pharisees fall into. You see it in the Gospels all the way through. That's the first warning, don't be judgmental. And then it sets you up for the second where it kind of qualifies the first-ish. Um, we're told not to be undiscerning. So verse 7, do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw pearls to pigs. So if you can't understand the first image or illustration, maybe the second helps. If you do, they'll trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. It's this idea of you know, just not wasting good things on those that just will not appreciate it. In fact, they'll turn it back on you. Um, but what is sacred? What does he have in mind? What's the sacred thing which we're not to throw to those who are in some way not worthy of it, who are going to trample over it and throw it back at you. It is a metaphor, but I reckon the most obvious way of understanding it is the sacred thing, you know, the gospel, the truth of the kingdom of heaven, what it means to have the good life. The very teaching which you've got in the Sermon on the Mount, don't waste that on people who aren't going to listen, who are going to spin it around and throw it back in your face. Have the discernment to know, not to waste it. Um, we need to be prepared that there will be some people who will not receive this teaching, who will not receive the gospel. 
um, in the growth group Bible studies, we came to Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 10, and in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples. He gives them a similar warning in 10 verse 14. He goes, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. It sounds like a very similar idea, doesn't it? You don't throw the pearls to swines. Um, how would this apply? Well, maybe it could be like this. So you're teaching RI in the school here and you're going through the Christmas narrative stories. Sometimes the kids, they'll ask questions which they aren't genuine questions. They're trying to trap you, they're trying to embarrass you, they're trying to mock you. So you're going through the Christmas story and this smart aleck kid puts his hand up with a big grin on his face and says, um, what's a virgin? Do you treat that question with the same level of interest and concern as a genuine question about why did Jesus come? You know, you need to have the discernment to know in situations like that. Maybe a better response is to turn it back on the child and say, hasn't your parent taught you anything? And then move on with the lesson. There's 20 other kids in the class who are listening. You know, maybe that's the way you apply this kind of passage. The shrewd RE teacher will know how to maximise the opportunity that's there and not waste the gospel on someone who's not listening, not sidetrack the whole lesson. There is a place for being discerning. So 7 verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. There's similar application for adults too, I think, isn't there? There's people who... They will chew up all your time and energy. They'll insist on catching up with you. And all they ever do is talk about themselves. They won't listen. You try to encourage them to help serve other people. They can't do it. They chew up all your emotional energy. But they're not listening. And instead, they keep turning your efforts back on you. They say to other people behind your back that you don't really care or you don't know how to help. There comes a time when you need to be discerning and make a judgment call and say, I'm going to stop wasting my time. Sure, I'll keep praying, but I'm not going to waste my time. Similar things could be said for the way we use our resources as a church, couldn't they? I mean, the community around wants us as a church, want all churches to do all those sorts of things like providing material support for people and pouring our lives into complex people that are, you know, all that's expected of us as a church, but at the same time, the community leaders who place all those expectations on churches shut the door on every opportunity we might be having to share what really is dear to us, the gospel of Jesus. There comes a point where you weigh it up. You don't throw your pearls to swine. You stop wasting your time. So these two warnings at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, yeah, they, they start hitting home, don't they? They're very practical. The first one is don't be judgmental. And then the qualification, but don't be undiscerning. And then you come to the third warning, and it's positive. Persist in praying to your Father in heaven. Notice the repetition, ask, seek, knock. So verse 7 goes, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. It's, it's like, just keep going, keep trying. And verse 8, for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened Ask, seek, knock, repeated twice. It's a persistence in prayer. What's Jesus talking about? What are we, we being? Uh, what are we to ask for? What are we to persist in knocking for? Hold on to that thought. Verses nine to eleven explain that God is willing to give to those who ask. So, not, verse nine says, "Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake?" 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? God knows how to give what is appropriate, and he will listen when you ask. Um, Human parents know how to listen to their kids and give them what they need. How much more would your Father in heaven have enough discernment to give you what you need? So verse 7 is a warning for us as Christians to be more prayerful, to keep praying, and we should keep praying, and not in a half-hearted kind of way, but a persistent way. Ask, seek, knock. Um, Prayer shows where your heart really is, doesn't it? The things you pray to God for show where your heart is. For example, praying for friends who need to come to know Christ. If you can't keep asking, seeking, knocking, how serious are you? Praying for that person who does keep wasting your time that you stop meeting with. You keep persisting, don't you? How does um, this warning work with the rest of the passage, though? Is Jesus saying um, you should ask God for help to be discerning? Yeah, I think so. Ask, seek, knock for discernment to know when to stop throwing those pearls to the swine. Is he asking that we should um, keep praying and ask God's help uh, in not being judgmental? Yeah, I think that's the general idea. Look at how those verses again, God knows how to give what's right. He knows how to discern. You may not, but he does. God is discerning, um, like we should be in the warning, the second warning. And God knows how to give appropriate things. He knows how to judge, how to give what's right. Um, Again, notice how the passage ends. So it comes back to where it started. Verse 12, after telling us to um, ask, seek, knock, verse 12 goes, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Hear how that comes back to the first warning in verses 1 and 2? Judge others as you would have be judged yourself. It's very similar, isn't it? It's not easy to be discerning. It's not easy to be humble and not judgmental. So we ask, we seek, we knock. Um, you can see how this passage kind of fits together. It's, there's a warning not to be judgmental. Um, the illustration of the log and the speck, there's the clarification, you do need to be discerning, and then there's the call to keep praying and ask God to help. But I think this, um, the, the, the warning to keep praying, to be persistent in prayer, I think it opens up more than just this passage. Look at how verse 12 ends, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the whole Sermon on the Mount behind here, isn't it? Summing up the law and the prophets, being concerned about the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Remember back after the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes were called to be like shine, uh, lights shining in the darkness. Five, um, verse 48, we're told to um, aim for perfection. We're, 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 and in verses 17 to 30, the law's not abolished, it's fulfilled in Christ. There's this whole thing about the, the law and the prophets. So 5 verse 17 says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And you look at verse 12 of today's passage, for this sums up the law and the prophets. As we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it's kind of like it's all pulling in together. And as we're being urged to pray, yeah, we're being urged to pray that we'd be living as followers of Jesus, I think, with judge, without being judgmental, knowing how to discern. It all, sort of, it all pulls back together. We're to be distinctively different. 5 verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is teaching his disciples on the mountainside and what he teaches them echoes through to us. This is the Christian life. Living a life that's wholly devoted to Jesus, repenting, giving up everything to follow him, knowing 
um, where our hope and our life is with Christ and making sure our heart is there also. Being people who are um, show-stopping, mesmerising as we attract people to live for Jesus with us. And as we do all this, we need to ask God to help us. We need to keep asking, um, seeking, knocking and praying that God would help us live this way. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are sorry for the many ways that we fail to live for you. Father, we know that Jesus' death in our place is the death of the perfect human and the Messiah. Lord, thank you that his death is sufficient to pay for all our sin. Lord, please forgive us and please keep working in us and changing us. Please write your law on our hearts. Please help us to want to live for you wholeheartedly. Lord, we do thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for new life that's begun as we put our trust in Jesus. We pray that as we live that new life, we pray that others would see it in us. We pray that they'd want to live for you too. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.